So it's 2013. I'm in Springfield, Missouri. I'm sitting at a fucking cafe in downtown Springfield working on a job talk. And someone knocks on the window next to me, and it is Caleb Stokes, who I have not seen for, at that point, probably three and a half or four years, yeah. but who I spent four or five years like absolutely becoming good friends with. So Caleb comes in. We split a six-pack. We go to a hookah bar. We catch up. Two months later, I move down to Springfield. And in that time, I've met producer Ross. Uh, Hello. Uh, Andrew Baswell, who will be guesting with us today. Hello. And who brought us a 21, McAllen 21, uh, was introduced to me because he was an RPPR fan and we were playing Destiny and Caleb mentioned that we were playing Destiny and Baz was playing Destiny and so now we've become friends and he's co- he comes to visit us. All of this to say, uh, you are sitting here listening to us only because the universe is full of a bunch of random shit and I think that's totally fucking awesome. So cheers to the universe. Cheers. Welcome to the Mix Six. I'm Caleb. I'm Spencer, and we have a guest with us today. I'm Baz. Baz That's came Baz. and brought all our beer. Uh, he is a wonderful friend. Even before that, and he can only go up in our esteem after bringing beer. Yeah. If you want to get closer to this group, show up with beer. <laughs> yes. Is what we've learned. It's the price of entry. I wish they would have told me that before all the other stuff that you do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, the hazing is pretty extreme. Now you know. Anyway, uh, we are the Mix Six. We are a podcast where we try six beers and have six random conversations. Sometimes related to beer, sometimes not. Usually somehow revolving arrow. Um, and uh, after we get past that. Um, we are supported by patrons like you, hopefully. If not, thank you for being with us anyway. You're still awesome. You're still great. Um, but we rate our beers yes, on a five-point system. Uh, Spencer came up with this one, so I'm going to let him introduce it. Sometimes when you say that Spencer came up with this one, I feel like what you're doing is you're taking the mantle of responsibility <laughs> off so that others might blame me when this goes poorly. Well, here's the thing. After the last rating system, yeah. that's exactly what I was Got doing. It. Got it. Before that, you were just insecure. I, but I, now you're completely right. Is the last one Tarantino? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. That didn't go yeah. well. I literally, t- I literally titled that episode, In Which Spencer is Wrong. Oh. <laughs> me the show notes i was like fuck spencer dude. right right well good um so spencer is a man who is willing to stand on his own too i nice. am i am so with that wonderful introduction or tarantino to this is a much better system. one though this is a great Just looking system. at the show notes. so one of the things that i should tell you about me hopefully about many of us uh is that bob's burgers is hysterical i think it's one of the better shows on television solid Holla. solid show bob's burgers is background noise for me now it's the thing that i put on when i have to do other stuff but i want stuff on that makes me feel good about being alive oh it's approaching recitable episodes for me. it is it's approaching the office for me in terms of the ability to identify specific moments and talk with them. So anyways, I thought, why not Bob's Burgers characters, but but a step above that, because you'd almost be forced to rate the family, given that they're kind of the main characters. See, I could do that. Yeah, right, exactly. So here's the here's the niche version. What about Bob's Burgers side characters? Yeah. All right? So, <laughs> as always, we rate our beers from one to five. One is a beer that's ruined your life and you never want to deal with again. Five is a beer that's changed your life, and you will seek for the rest of your days another iteration of such such perfection. So a one this week is a Jimmy Pesto. So for those of you that don't know, Jimmy Pesto is the owner of the restaurant across the street from Bob's. They hate one another. They are locked in constant mortal battle. Oh, okay. All right. 
The Snidely I, I, Whiplash. Yes. I just realized, for a moment, I thought it was Jimmy Pesto Jr., no. and this was going to be the one I argued with, yeah. but no, that's totally accurate. Jimmy Jr. He's, is great. Yeah, Jimmy yeah. Jr. is great. Jimmy Pesto is a complete fuck, yeah. all right? Yeah. So, yeah. He's definitely he, a one. He's Al Bundy without being likable, mm-hmm. all right? So Jimmy Pesto is a one. A two is Mr. Fishoder, who is the landlord for the Belchers. He owns the building. He's constantly demanding rent, and he makes them do insane things. To satiate these odd urges that the one in the white suit, the one in the white suit, absolutely. Kevin Klein, Kevin Klein, Kevin Klein, the the esteemed Kevin Klein, yeah. And he is sort of elevated by his sublime selfishness alone. Absolutely right. That's why he's a two for me, right? Like it's a two. Like I don't. So he gets the two on audacity alone. That's right. I don't like this beer, but there's something at least minimally interesting about how this beer, this beer is. Mm -hmm. So that's Mr. Fishetter, a three. A three for us is a beer that's run of the mill. You know, it's got you know you don't love it, you don't seek it out, but it's okay if it's there. For me, a three is a Mr. Frond, who's the guidance counselor at the school, who's really trying to do good. He's yeah, really his tr- life isn't great, but he wants yours to be good. That's right. He's really trying to help, <laughs> but he can't he can't not fuck up occasionally. Mm-hmm. Not unlike a bushlight in some ways, which is trying to help you get drunk, but also sometimes you get too drunk on bushlight and then bushlights become your enemy. All right, <laughs> that's uh, MGD for me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Oops. Oops. Um, <laughs> so now now we're into the fours and the fives. These are beers that you genuinely like. You'll seek these beers out. So a four is Teddy. Um, Teddy is the lovable side character who is constantly at the restaurant. He considers Bob his best friend. Um, and so, Teddy is probably more into you than you're into him, which is probably how you feel about this beer. Like, it's a pillar. That's right. Of the community. It's not your favorite beer, but like it's pretty okay. The guy with the beanie? Yep, the guy with the beanie. Yeah. Sitting like at the a bar. Fisherman? Yep. Yeah, I like him. He's actually yeah. not a fisherman. He's kind of an odd job type guy. He yeah, looks like a fisherman. Handyman. Yeah. Yes, yeah, he's sort of handyman. Yeah. yeah, he's a fisherman. And then a five, and <laughs> I, str- I struggled with five because there are a lot of really great Bob's Burgers side characters. But what I've landed on, who, who I think is probably, every time he talks, I laugh, it's Zeke. I agree with you 100% on that. Jimmy Jr.'s best friend, Zeke, is full of backwoods wisdom <laughs> and hilarity. See that Any- torn shirt, kind of like yep. jerk kid? Like, yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's absolutely like right. With a, fi- a five beer asks you if you want to wrestle, and the answer is yes. Actually, a yes, five I beer would like to asks wrestle. you if you want to wrestle. <laughs> maybe, wrestle. yeah, for Zeke. <laughs> so if we drink a five today, and God willing we drink a five, it'll be a Zeke. So that's our rating system, and with that rating system in tow, I'm going to go grab a beer, and we're moving on to the next thing. Hey, Spence, what are you drinking? So, um, a couple of episodes ago, at this point, probably many episodes ago, you tried a Stillwater that I remember you not liking very much. In fact, your face seemed to suggest that you would murder anything nearby. We have a rule now. That's right, the Stillwater Stillwater rule. rule. And the Stillwater rule actually is that we have to try on air something we've not had before. Mm -hmm. So, I am about to drink Stillwater's Goza Gone Wild. You're welcome. For the first time. Brought brought to you, brought to me, more, more explicitly by Andrew Baswell. So, here we go. Oh, okay. Well, <clears throat> nope. So, okay. So on the this beer looks like river sediment. Yeah. To be clear, it so, is particular. Okay, so here's what happened with Stillwater. Yeah, I was that on, on the way. way. I just picked it up. Did you did you like age this in the sun? Is that was that? A, <clears throat> I gathered it from a local creek. Right. I fermented creek water. It's yeah. clear bottle aged. It was Stillwater. Yeah. Ironically, yeah. Enough. Yeah. very still. Mosquitoes yes. are breeding now. Well, so now that I've got Zika, yeah, um, it's very Zika. Uh, so 
this is a this is a two, all right? Yeah. And and it's not a one because on the front end, for a moment, you go, oh, this is a nice goza. It's a goza. And then the back hits you. Um, not unlike uh, I <laughs> not admit, unlike Mr. Fish Odor with the Ritz. That's right. Not unlike Mr. Fish Odor, who comes in um, portraying kindness, almost an over the top Southern leisure, only to say, "Where's my money?" That's exactly it's all right, a scam. Caleb. So yeah. this is a two for me. Um, I'm sorry, Stillwater. I, I want you to know we really do want to review a beer that we love on this show for you because we're about helping other no people. No one's succeed. rooting for you harder than us. That's right. At this point, <laughs> we feel indebted to you in some weird <laughs> yes. way. But here we are. The Stillwater Goes Gone Wild is a two. Having said that, I'll be drinking this. Caleb, what will we be discussing? So, Spencer, you brought up an interesting point in dissecting our fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's something I came across uh, in my trip with DC. So yeah. With uh, lovely Laura and Adam. You did a great job hosting. Who are wonderful our, listeners, by wonderful the way. Wonderful listeners. Thank wonderful you people. so much. Um, played a lot of games. But I saw their board game shelf looked a lot like mine, but with slightly different variations. And that's because of reskins. Yeah. And uh, this trend in board gaming has been going on for quite some time now. And you brought up an interesting question. How many times can you reskin a thing and still make the same mechanics feel different. So, Baz, our guest, is an avid board gamer. So. I love board games. So, what are your thoughts on this reskinning issue? When does it go too far? When can it go farther? What do you think? Okay, so my one of the earlier board game experiences I ever had was Pandemic. Um, great game. A lot of fun. As I dug, kind of dive deeper into the genre, the medium, or whatever, I, found, I realized that Z-Man's Pretty well known for reskinning games. Mm-hmm. Uh, Radis, if you've ever played Radis, it is the spread of the bubonic plague across Europe. It has almost the same mechanic as Pandemic. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah, huh. It's very similar. It's very similar. Uh, Shadows over Camelot, which I think is a fantasy flight game, has very similar concepts along with Battlestar Galactica, one of their best board games they've ever put out, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So Z Man and Fantasy Flight do a great job of reskinning games. And what I found is like you want to make a thematically different game. It's what's important while keeping a working rule set. And one problem I run into with things like the whole idea of reskinning is if your rule set is shallow, whatever theme you put to it's not going to make it any better. <laughs> your face, man. I just I can't handle it. I don't know. I don't know if it's the exposure to the oxygen in the air. <laughs> Like, <laughs> this but, beer best consumed under lab best conditions. Consumed in space. Yeah. <laughs> but if, you know exactly. that lab in the Andromeda strain? Yeah. Go there. It took <laughs> a pipe to your clean suit. That it's, beer actually caused the storyline for Andromeda strain. It's getting it's getting more moldy and more tucked away in an underwear drawer by the minute. All right, Baz, let's see if we can drag this segment out until it hits a one. This is good. Keep going. Yeah, yeah we're going to get you to a one. Um, but uh, Munchkin, I've played Munchkin. I had no fucking clue what was going on during it, but it was kind of a fun game. And then someone was like, hey, Cthulhu Munchkin. I was like, well, I'm obsessed with Lovecraftian mythos and yeah. universe. Let's do that. Pandemic just did a Cthulhu skin. Yeah, I saw it. It's yeah. beautiful. It looks we great. It. And yeah, I, yeah. I heard it's amazing. It's mm-hmm. fun. But it's thematically different. Yeah. And that works with a kind of a deep rule set. Munchkin, you could put Munchkin 2016 presidential election, and it would literally be the same as I'm Munchkin. actually sure they have. They actually, <laughs> Steve Jackson just did a Kickstarter for uh, Munchkin Shakespeare, okay. and they raised over $250,000. Sure they did. I also read a story of someone who's like, yeah, I remember we played a 12-hour game of Munchkin at Gen Con one year. Uh, oh, my God. And, did they yeah. not know how to play Munchkin? <laughs> no. Yeah, no, it's shit. actually very possible to do that, because you all save the screw sure. you cards right. until the until end. Until everybody gets up to the, yeah, the, yeah, the level nine. What yeah. blows my mind about Munchkin is... Steve Jackson, the creator, also is responsible for GURPS, 
which is like a mile deep and a mile wide as far yeah. as like an RPG could go. But a card game? Munchkin makes like 80% of their revenue, by I the know, way. I know, it's insane. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't but, make any goddamn sense. Munchkin for me, so so I think this this distinction, Bez, between shallow rule set and deep rule set is a really good way of parsing this issue. So, so like I own 11 copies of Munchkin because for a long time, um, it, well, A, Munchkin was kind of a, a bridge game for me. It's also me. compatible to, between different schools. Yeah, absolutely. You can shuffle yeah. things together. Munchkin Blender or whatever, Munchkin Grinder, I forget. They actually have a yeah. kind, of, kind of method for doing that. Anyways... Munchkin was a bridge game for me, not unlike the way in which Settlers of Catan was for a number of people. It was a way of doing something a little deeper than your average board game. So so I own a bunch of Munchkin sets. We haven't touched them in over a year, but I own them. Uh, Same same problem for me that you've identified with Munchkin, which at its root is it doesn't matter what the theme is. You're still doing the same thing over and over again. Love Letter has been uh, kind of a recent victim of the reskin problem. So yeah. the first time I played Love Letter, I thought, what a wonderfully simple yeah. card game. It's fun. It's, it's really fun. Yeah. But now there's Batman Love Letter, The Hobbit Love Letter, Lord of the Rings Love Letter, uh, Game of Thrones. I mean, it, it too has taken what are not a lot of mechanics, and it said, well, what if we took those three or four mechanics and we just kept calling them something else? You, you kind of fall into the, the Milton Bradley problem of reskinning Monopoly or... Clue. Right, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's at some like, point it's the same goddamn game. You're just putting new faces in it. Is right. it really a problem or is it like how these companies survive? Well, well at this that's point not like, my problem. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not bothered by Love Letter because like I'm not sure what you do to make money off Love Letter. It's a perfect micro game. It's yeah. amazing. I've yeah. never think something seen something so concise it, with such deep psychological unbelievable. mechanics. Yeah. But like at the same time, when you've designed something effing perfect like right. that i feel like maybe you deserve to reskin it a billion times and sure. make more money because sure. i feel like every human being on earth should play love also, letter plus, to know what a card game could be a yeah. plus on love letters it can be played hammered like <laughs> yeah exactly anyone can play it. not awful um i'm also not angry <laughs> when like they reskin pandemic into cthulhu or stuff like that because there's some different mechanics there and even love letter doesn't go without the different mechanics as there's like extra victory cubes for guessing the Joker and the Batman yeah. love letter. Um, so they do at least tweak. Mm-hmm. Um, Munchkin bothers me a little bit though, and I can't tell you why. Like, I mean, I'm really trying to articulate yeah, what's the here. distinction there. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. Munchkin bothers But here's the thing Drunk Quest, yeah. love that game. Yep. It is Munchkin as skin. a drinking game. Right. It is a full reskin, though. Yeah. Only you drink to kill the monsters instead of like doing damage. Ones. Right. And and that's it. Like that. Right. It's literally just Munchkin. Love that. Think it's super inventive. Uh, wish them all the best. Own all the expansions. And it's just Munchkin reskinned by a different company. So yeah. like, I I have no consistent. I have opinions on this issue. Yeah. I could not put into words. Right, but like, they, they don't emanate from any one position. Yeah, I have no I have no consistent ideology. Well, it sounds like it's because the game's design. Like, Munchkin is not a good game in terms of design. I mean, the, I just mentioned people have played it for 12 hours straight without resolving a winner. Because you just keep in these uh, never-ending cycles of never no one able, being able to clinch a victory. I've played much worse games than Munchkin, but yeah, yeah I, I agree. It's uh, like Monopoly in that respect. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah uh, okay, well, uh, yeah. let's not be too extreme. Well, I right. mean... Monop- I, I put it up there with Risk. Like, it's a decent idea yeah. if you like rolling dice for Risk. It's a decent idea if you like card game... Like simple mechanics, I yeah. guess, for much. But like, once you see it do its thing, right? See, it's it, done that, its thing. That's it for me. I don't know that I dislike the Munchkin mechanic, and the fact that I own like I don't know thirty-seven of them suggests that I don't. It's that 
It's that I guess what I was hoping for as I continued to buy additional iterations of Munchkin was something other than, oh, well, I did this in uh, Superhero Munchkin. It just was called a different thing in Zombie Munchkin. And so it's the same thing that I've done now. I've just called it something different. So I think it's that reskinning in those instances doesn't add depth. Yet I look at, like, Drunk Quest. And maybe I'm biased because we have a podcast about drinking beer and, you know, playing board games. Yeah. We are the target audience. We are. At least Drunk Quest adds a level of depth there, which is now the decisions that you make are targeted decisions. Same mechanics, completely different table experience. Right. Absolutely right. So it has changed... The, the level of interaction or the type of interaction so it doesn't feel the same way. And, and there's, having said that, if someone came out with it, you know, if there were four more iterations of Drunk Quest and they were all functionally the same thing, but it was Drunk Quest, I don't know, fucking Sailor Moon or something, and Drunk Quest NFL, at the end of the day, I'd still be doing the same thing. I guess that at, at its core, that's, that's what I'm concerned about. The, the um, overly capitalistic sentiment of... Well, if I just keep selling you the same thing over and over again with a different skin on it, you'll keep buying it. So maybe it's like a value thing? Well, maybe. Like, yeah. let me get into economics here. Maybe it's a consumer surplus thing. I pay $10 for Love Letter. I feel like the amount of gameplay I get out of a deck of Love Letter just showing people to play Love Letter sure. is worth way more than $10. Absolutely worth its value. So my it. cards get a little bad. I don't mind a cosmetic rescan, like buying a new paint job for my gun or an alternative outfit in a video game like, yeah. um, that I really love. Yeah. I don't mind that cosmetic reskin. Right. But Munchkin, your, what's your price point? $25, $30 for I think a 24, Munchkin $24.99. Yeah. I don't feel like there's a consumer surplus there for the amount of gameplay yeah. I get out of Munchkin. Mm-hmm. So that cosmetic reskin feels very much like horse armor, shitty DLC okay. tactics. So Could it be that? On that same same vein, though, Munchkin suffers from that because Munchkin has like these large expansions. They also do booster packs, I think, for Munchkin. Yeah, they do. Small ones that are like, five, like a Magic the Gathering pack or whatever. That doesn't fix the game's problem when it comes to being like reskin, though. Right. On that same thing, though, there's another game called Flux. Yep. That mm. does a really good job of putting out like a single card. It's like this card costs a dollar at your local brick and mortar. Throw it in your game. It changes the whole game when it shows up. Yeah. And that's a wonderful Flux exceeds because of it right but flux you know flux doesn't suffer from the problem the reskin problem because it's like no just throw the new cards in the deck yeah but flux is adding depth not breadth there that's right that's what's weird about flux is that like it it bypasses the whole problem by just or uh, smash up boosters smash up is another one smash up boosters that's another example yeah absolutely or even small world right when you add because the smash up booster is not only getting you the new mechanics of that deck it's getting you the new mechanics of that deck in combination with every previous deck you bought that's right so i feel like that's much value added same thing with small world every time you add effects of playing playing types of tribes or characters whatever and then pulling them out also what you've done is you've taken a base game but you've changed the nature of interaction such that it's made the game feel fundamentally different even though the boards aren't all that dynamic but for two three four players i think that's a, it's definitely price point for me now it's definitely an articulate that's, yeah, that's the that's articulation really like yeah the value added of it or is it purely cosmetic for money i think this price point yeah. plus depth is is actually yeah, depth is also not a yeah producer ross um you know i recently went to pack south and i went to a panel uh of board game designers and they talked about one of the things you want to do if you want to become a professional board game designer or card game designer, you know, whatever. Ta- not not RPG, but tabletop game designer. Uh, is that if you want to pitch to other companies that you know, here's my game design. You have to be willing to reskin the theme of your sure. game 
uh, like, can we take these game mechanics? And that's like the criteria of whether that game design is worth buying for yeah. companies. Like, can we take this game design, this worker placement game, or this you know competitive card game or whatever? And instead of being fantasy, can we make it sci-fi? It's or a can- mechanics first. Yeah. Discipline. So like, yeah. yeah, you you have to. You can make a theme and like come around to mechanics and RPGs. You cannot do that. At so all. I sure. can tell you from the professional indi- the, the 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 tabletop industry, they view like the whole the skin the the aesthetics of a game the theme of a game. Entirely separate from the mechanics. Yeah, they, oh. they, they, that's like the theme of a game is like probably like eighty percent marketing. Yeah. So like if they feel that there's a market for this, or they have a certain license, or they feel like oh this type of thing is popular right now, let's reskin our existing game to be like that. Yeah, it makes complete sense to me. Yeah. So on that note, two things. Let's wrap this up. One, this beer has become a hard one for me as I've tried to choke it down. <laughs> yeah, we did it across yes, this conversation. We did it. So. Congratulations to all parties involved. Two, someone else can get a beer now, and I hope it, too, Sorry, is, is pebbly-laden piss water <laughs> so that you all might suffer as I will for the rest of this afternoon. Andrew Baswell, you get the first ever rate and review for a guest on the Mix 6 podcast. So what are you drinking? I am drinking um, Polar Eclipse out of Rough Tail Brewing Company, which comes from my beautiful home state of Oklahoma. Holler. It is a Imperial Stout aged on cacao nibs. Ooh. Cacao. How would you review that beer? I'm going to find out real quick. Cacao. Okay. Here he goes. Here he goes. First ever. Pulling it down. Looks kind of... Ha- eh, a little bit of question. It is... I'm going to give it a three. Okay. A uh, Mr. Frond. Mr. Frond. It's not terrible. Okay. It's not even bad. It's good beer. Okay. Um, yeah. What it reminds me of is if you're given a chocolate. Someone's like, hey, you want some chocolate? Yep. And they hand you a chocolate. And like, oh, great. And they violate your expectation by giving you a darker than normal chocolate. Sure. <laughs> and it clings to the palate. Yep. Not in a bad way, but that bitterness kind of ruins basically what you might be eating later. Yep. Yep. No, I love that. That is what Polar Clips. It's... It's good. It's the alcohol bite also kind of helps. Right, it's right. got a good sting to no, it. No, I love that. So yeah. you've picked that's up very, very quickly. That's a very nuanced review. Yeah, yeah, my God. That's smarter than Your anything palate. Caleb and I have ever said. And we're, we're a number of episodes into this bitch. So that's great. I yeah. mean, I do drink a lot. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, God bless America well, on that. You have the soul of a poet. So right. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So anyways, uh, while Andrew drinks that, I continue to choke down uh, what are the remnants of this now foul lake water. It's so delicious. <laughs> uh, we're on to a new topic. This is beer two for us and our topic today is armchair director which is of course where we talk about films this is a wonderful listener suggestion thank you justin burt who has had a couple of hits for us in terms of suggestions god bless uh justin burt has has asked us to to describe the three best and or worst time travel movies so my understanding here before i kick it to caleb is that each of us has taken a slightly different approach to this. So I... It appears so. It appears so. Looking at the show notes. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I saw your list and I thought, no, no, Caleb's drunk. (laughs) So here's the approach I took. I went for time travel films that I also loved and then ranked those. Caleb went for time travel mechanic accuracy. Is that how I'm supposed to understand it? So I... Three best, I interpret it as three best time travel movies according to the metric of the time travel. Love it. Not the acting or the cinematography. No, I love directing. it. Directing. Yeah. I'm like, oh, the time travel yeah. works a cool way. Oh, I so, like, I like Looper a lot. 
Yeah. Time travel doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Right. So I didn't include it on. No, I think that's great. Uh, and then, Baz, what did you use as you made your three here? I went with each three were there was there's no continuity between what I picked. Good, was, even better. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was. Uh, oh, I like this movie a lot. I hate the time travel mechanic they included in it. And the second one was this movie's perfect for me. Right. Always. Yeah. Third one was. I can't fucking stand this movie. Right. So here we go. Anyways, what you're about to get is is a scattered rendering of our approaches to time travel films. And as always, when we rate and review things, we're going to start at the bottom, the thing that we like the least of the three. But three, given, two, one. Yeah. yeah, three, two, one. Given it's the top three, mm-hmm. three's still pretty good. Caleb, I'm going to start with you. So, uh, again, want to be perfectly clear about how I defined this question. Right, because before you before talk about I this film, say a word. Positively. All right. One second. This is like... Best star actor ever. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. No. Uh, so, interesting time travel mechanics. Uh, butterfly effect. God damn it. <laughs> Basically, for all you Lovecraft fans out there, Ashton Kutcher is a Yithian <laughs> to his own life, which I find super interesting because if you're going to have control over multiple timelines and be able to branch out on multiple timelines, it makes sense that it's only inclusive to you. Sure. Um, Because then you could be crazy and hallucinating. You've got this sort of existential crisis kind of thing. Um, You don't have all these other issues about physics and stuff like that. But uh, it it takes all that issue and it basically makes Aston Kutcher a Yithian. He's able to mind-occupy his young self Mm -hmm. with his current self's brain. Right. Um, Which is uh, an interesting time travel mechanic in that it sidesteps all of the problematic, you know, physics issues. Yeah. Don't interrupt yourself. Yeah, it it sidesteps a number of... Now, there are a series of paradox issues in it, but at the same time, it sort of writes those off by being sort of mystical time travel rather than scientific time travel. Sure. Um, and, or rather psychic time travel rather yep. than uh, scientific time travel. So I think the mechanic of the butterfly – and I want to be clear. The, the mechanic, mechanic of the butterfly bold. effect, Finn, just that is interesting and deserves a three. Love it. Baz, what's third on your list? The My least or – Yeah, yeah, yeah. The least. Okay. So my least favorite of any is Donnie Darko. I hate that fucking movie. Wow. <laughs> yeah, like there's a, a visceral. Mm-hmm. It only was made worse by its sequel. Mm-hmm. There um, was a sequel. Oh yeah. Oh god. The sister Rust. There's a sequel. I have not seen that. Uh, I watched it and it was. Ugh. Is yeah. it the little sister that's in Sparkle Motion? It uh-huh. is the younger sister. Okay. Oh, it's not. Uh, and they're Samantha Darko. Am I? Am I? Gillenhall back? Darko is what it's called. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So my problem with it is not anything to do with the mechanics of time travel because time travel is kind of loose in that story. But he does travel in time. He but it's kind of weak. There's no explanation of the actual act of time traveling. It is that the movie is essentially every. Uh, every Bad trope. Every hipster that's ever told me to listen to this one band, like, oh, have you ever heard of this band? It's like, God, yes, I've heard of that band. It's, and Donnie Darko is that band of movies. Yes, I've heard of the Decemberists. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, have you ever listened to Explosions in the Sky? It's real good. It's like, mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I know who they it's are. It's very musical. Yeah, <laughs> Donnie Darko suffers from all these problems. It has like. Jay Gyllenhaal is insufferable for me. I can't stand him because like across the board in that movie. Okay. Because I love Jake Gyllenhaal. Fucking A. Yeah, he's amazing. Nightcrawler. In that, or I'm also a huge fan of Brokeback Mountain. I think it's a great movie. Sure. Uh, minus the kind of the guilt trip aspect of it. Yep. It's weird. But yep. um, it's, a good, it's a good movie. And Die Darko suffers from this like 
they make him the he, they make him that hipster that I hate. Yep. Like, yep. And the it goes through all of that, and it bothers me. And it never the storyline it, it never just does anything. Sure. Nope. I get you on that. So third on my list, and again, we've all kind of approached this from a very different perspective, which is why we have such different movies. Third on my list, and I was rating for best, so this is the third best time travel-related movie for me, is Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Uh, I don't think I need to go on expansively here. Chances on, if you're listening to this podcast, uh, you know, I'd be willing to flip a coin. Since you're rating on, like, sheer entertaining, it's a yeah, great movie. that might be my one. That, yeah, it would be my one. That like, dun, 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 that yeah, no, if Terminator 2 is on, I've stopped what I'm doing. That's right. right. Like, That's right. I was I'll, 12 years old and wanted a shotgun that I could, like, right. flip in my hand. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I was 12 years old and my dad bought a shotgun that yes. I could do that right. with. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, they actually specially modified the Winchester 1887 model that he used in the film in order to do that. I know like, exactly that. Yes, Ross, yes, we yes. all know. Okay. Jesus. Because we got a replica. What, what <laughs> a rabbit hole. Anyways, Terminator 2 Judgment Day. It, this was a, a tough distinction for me between Terminator and Terminator 2. At the end of the day, I guess I just find Terminator 2 to be more interesting. Oh, no. It's. it's the quintessential blockbuster. It, it might be film. proximity. Yeah. To it might be age. peak it could blockbuster. Be, it could be proximity. To it's age. peak Hollywood. That yeah, Terminator, is, yeah. Terminator Two, in yeah. some weird way, feels less dated because it's closer to my childhood than Terminator. It's just before over the top Michael Bay. Over the top. Yeah, that's. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. And uh, despite CG's the fact, good. the CG's good. Practical effects yeah, are amazing. amazing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Totally, no. um, and you know, God bless Edward Furlong for doing something once. I guess yeah. is how on I sheer moviness, we can agree on that one. Yeah. All right. So, Caleb, what's number two for you? So, number two for me is the original Terminator. Okay. On time travel, slight change. change. Terminator Two gets out because the ending gets problematic, especially when you consider the sequels. Yeah. You consider the alternate endings. Yes. Yeah. The additional like Terminator universe. They prevent Skynet entirely, right. or Skynet's you know deterministic or all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Terminator is just the grandfather paradox. Yeah. Yep. And that is, uh, it is just the grandfather paradox brilliantly put to screen. She stops the Terminator from killing her. Right. She gives birth to John Connor. Yeah. John Connor stops the machines. Yeah. The machines sit back. It's a perfect time loop of no, no paradox and total causality. Totally agree. Uh, so, uh, in terms of mechanics, I'm going to go with Terminator. On I'm two. with you on that. Baz, what's two for you? Two for me is actually my most favorite of time travel, but it's in the list is two for me. Just, yeah. Um, is Interstellar. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, it doesn't quite classify as a time travel movie. Time dilation. Time dilation. I I, okay. So... More scientific than... As, as far... Because yeah, I am... Way more scientific. I am a... I'm, I love... I'm a physics nerd. I'm terrible at math, but I love the aspects of... The, the mechanics of physics. Yeah. And if you can accurately portray a supermassive black hole through an algorithm you create specifically for the CGI team... Mm-hmm. And you can tell Christopher Nolan to say, hey, fuck you, dude. We're not doing time travel in your movie. Mm-hmm. That that scientist who's responsible for it literally told him, no, there will be no warp speed, no time travel. You're getting time dilation. That is it. Yeah. That was like a six-month battle between them. And you get to the point where, like, they go to the planet, the water planet, and they come back. And the guy has lived, like, years while they've been down there for, like, yeah. hours. That was the most haunting time travel experience I've ever seen. Like, it was so real. Because you come back, he's like, "Where, where have you been?" I thought right. you were coming right back. Yeah, he's go- he's basically been solitary confinement he's fucking for decades, insane. and it's like, yeah. But th- that all is real. That would really be what happened mm-hmm. if you were in that kind of time, the gravity well that changed time to that experience. Sure, that extent. Yeah. No, I love it. Yeah, I, lo- I love the. Uh, the uh, 
I, I like the distinction here between the, you know, the kind of like hyper Hollywood approach to time to the, no, I mean, th- as best we know, this is what, so what time, would be? this is how time what functions. What Arrival did for linguistics, I feel yeah. like Interstellar did for physics until we got to, you know, like magic bookshelf right. land. Um, and in some but, ways, to, to be fair, because I just recently recently watched Arrival, also what Arrival did for time travel in some way, right? you know, uh, oh, yeah, 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 situating yeah. it from its chronology. Yeah, yeah. The thing yeah. is, I just found Arrival more emotionally affecting than yeah. Interstellar, because so, Interstellar got a little sentimental so, for Interstellar, me. when it came to the, 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 the black hole bookshelf world, yeah. where everything got real weird and like real like, okay. I, I mean, I asimoved it. Yeah, yeah. I, I default to my... My nerd crush Neil deGrasse Tyson, right? Who said at, at a certain point, no, just do it. Say whatever you want about a black hole. You might be right. It right. doesn't matter. <laughs> right. He said, like, right. we have no clue. We're not getting in there. Yeah, we'll yeah. never be there. Yeah, Interstellar might have got it right. Right. Who knows? Absolutely. So it's like good enough for me. All right. Yeah. yeah. Love it. Uh, Caleb, your honors. What's first on your list? Uh, isn't it you? Is it? Have I not said yeah, my you second? Said your second. Oh my yeah, number two. God! This is what the, the Stillwater's done I've, to I've goza gone wild. Goza yeah. goza wild. Um, um, yeah, number two for me. So I know that the time travel is terribly problematic here, but I just... Oh, man. I've never... I don't know that I've ever walked out of a movie and gone, holy fuck, did I not expect that? As much as I did with Looper. And that movie is super fucking entertaining. Yeah. It's Front cool to movie. back. Yeah. Hands down. Holes you could drive a fucking truck yeah. through mini, in the plot. Mini, the 405. Yeah. One of the worst executions of time travel as a mechanic I've ever it, seen, but a damn entertaining film nonetheless. It I does, own it. I like it. Yep. It does fall back to the reskin issue of reskinning a time travel movie, but the rules mechanics are very shallow. Yeah. It's like drive a truck right through every hole you've ever seen. Like, the, the thing that I like about it is They at that, least hang a lantern on it and was like... Yep. Yeah, don't think about it. Don't think about it, yeah. Just don't, why are you asking questions? You know, that that yeah. makes the movie worth it just for that scene. It yeah. does, it but does. Don't fucking think about it, yeah. nerd. They, they pretty much tell you that that's not the important issue here. The abilities of the child are the important issue. So they use a are mechanic they? that they spend zero time with um, to get to something else. And they do it in like a really kind of like oddly Midwestern setting yeah. uh, with fucking Bruce Willis and Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who is make-upped all to hell. Amazingly to look like, by that. Phenomenally yeah. to look like young Bruce Willis. And Emily Blunt. And they couldn't have made a more like kind of oddly encapsulated uh, couple of moments in this like fucking farmhouse setting. And so I, I, I kind of ran away with that. Now that I've reset this timeline, Caleb, your honors... What's number one on your list? Primer. Hands down. You need a fucking chart to watch it. And here's there the thing. There are charts on the internet. There are charts. Very detailed. And I've charts. watched it like six or seven times. I still don't think I get the chart entirely. <laughs> but here's the thing. If time travel existed, it would make causality so fucking complicated and so impossible to track that whatever happened would be so incomprehensibly weird to you, even if you were the only time traveler on Earth. That it would just be the most gonzo fucking insane thing. And I love that someone's like, let's actually track it out let's entirely. Go yeah. Let's actually do it even though no, everyone says we shouldn't. Right. And no one is actually demanding we should. And let's just go through it to its logical conclusion. And then, like, uh, is it Carruth? I think it's Shane Carruth. Yeah. yeah. He did Upstream Color. color yeah. And Upstream yeah. Color is almost the same way, only it's slightly more comprehensible. Yeah. Uh, but Primer, in terms of like, if I'm rating on the mechanic of time travel executed yep. well, yep. the film just uh, escalates into 
increasingly inexplicable throughout. And as a film, it's also a great movie, like yeah. because the actors do the idea of like, did we just discover right. time travel? Yeah, um, like they they stock market e- manipulation. Yeah, yeah, they execute it so fucking well. Uh, that it is you know, with this sort of um, Silicon Valley startup mentality of it, yeah, yeah. that it is just uh, exquisite. Yeah. Baz, what's one on your list? Number one um, is Star Trek 2009. Um, I hate the time travel mechanic in it. <laughs> now, my one is my least favorite. <laughs> Even more than Die Darko. That's how you jump. I'm so around glad there. we don't coordinate. On yeah, that. absolutely. <laughs> I love now no, even a even a slight I'm amount of planning. It. Yeah, yeah. I love Star Trek the, the the remake the J.J. Abrams version because it for me it encapsulated all the things I loved about my prior experiences of old Star Trek movies. Mm-hmm. Not not so much the next generation ones, but even the older ones. The idea of exploration to an extent. This is their first time out. This is great, and it was beautiful. The time travel mechanic, I feel like they shoehorned in there with yeah. the Spock line, yeah. was bad. And I was like, okay, I don't want to see this. that Spock is already there. Don't give me another Spock. Don't give me Leonard Nimoy. We're done with that. But at the same time, it wasn't bad enough to ruin the movie. I actually found that it did improve it to a certain extent. It made it more interesting. Yep. And I feel like it lacked. If it did not have that, it would have been lacking without it. I agree. I could not see a way it would ever work without Leonard Neumann. Yeah, Leonard Neumann. They needed to have some some of that in there. Yeah, right? Right. yeah, it made some sense of it. And I think actually at some point it added some depth to me that I yeah. kind of liked, which yeah. I didn't see coming. Because it pissed me off for about three days afterwards. Yeah, and then I came to terms with it. I was like, no, it's all right. Right, I kind of like it. I, I'm I'm gonna not fanboy out on Abrams right now, which I'm like, which I'm a little bit. Uh, likely to do that's fair and move on but I will say to you that there, there's something very beautiful about how all of that ended up being approached I think in the long run they did a good job with the like reflecting light, light. I yeah. could just like yeah, yeah. Flash. get some lens flare lens flare Bruce Ross <laughs> Bruce Ross get the lens flare alright so last I don't know what's the audio you added a visual lens flare yeah. to this no. right. also don't forget, don't forget to drink when producer Ross doesn't add an effect for this yeah, <laughs> yeah. add it to the list um, last on this list for me uh, in, in I'm best, taking notes yeah best time travel film films uh and again we've all approached this very differently but this for me are the things that i want to watch based on time travel is back to the future yeah um there are very few things that i absolutely stop what i'm doing when i see that it's on television all of the back to the futures are on that list including three which i actually enjoy far too much they're all great they're all great what i will say about this is that um time travel when you think of it as a thing that exists gets dark so quickly. Oh, yeah, yeah it's great. But the concept of time travel in terms of any understanding of physics is so fucking silly. Yep. And what I love about Back to the Future, it makes time travel silly. Yeah. It makes it silly like, again. It's Why? just fun. It's right. good-hearted fun. Why does it have to be the first question? It's like, would you go back and kill Hitler? It's like, I, I would go back and maybe... I'd go back money. and have my mom fucking hit on me. That's not, right. Like, <laughs> I can't food poisoning? That's right. I don't know. Something benign. Like, yeah. something fun. You know, you look You look at the, the films on this list. Donnie Dark. Darko, Looper, Terminator 2. Dark as shit. Uh, we're, we're talking butterfly effect is something. You know, we're talking we're Can talking I, depressing films. Yeah. And then you look at Back to the Future and you go, how fucking fun would it be to jump in a fucked up looking car and go back to Whoa. 1955 and see what's going on? Huge slam of the delivery. It also gave us mm-hmm. Rick I mean, and Morty. Like yep. Maybe my favorite thing on TV right sure, now. Sure, sure. Uh, also... Uh, it's time travel as continuity expert on set because the fact that they had to do so much continuity work between one and two. Yeah. Uh, and they've, and like, 
that's like a legit time travel yeah. writing mechanic Absolutely. you would have to figure out. And Absolutely. they actually didn't shirk away from yeah, it. Right. In the 80s, where they shirked away from anything they, difficult. They, in that movie, they shirked away from appropriately pronouncing gigawatts to gigawatts, gigawatts. because they heard someone say it inappropriately at a conference. Yeah. You know what I mean? Now, like, yeah. The, just, just the amount of whimsy and fun with which time travel is approached in Back to the Future is something we may not see again in American cinema. Now, I do have a, one issue with Back to the Future, and is that a white person was responsible for Chuck Berry learning? Sure. Okay. Yeah, there's some yeah. tones there that maybe aren't up. great. But you know what? By oh, and large. Okay, yeah. Well, if we got to write out, we really have to write out the entirety yeah. of uh, that whole canon. Yeah. 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 That was weird. Like, you ever see Teen films? Wolf? Yeah. yeah. Where being black is like being a werewolf? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the, the 80s were problematic. Now, on, but a plus side, if you go to O'Reilly's Auto Parts, oh, yeah. Put it with 21G1, yeah. searching the parts, you get a flux capacitor. It's <laughs> pretty rad. God bless. O'Reilly Auto Parts. House headquartered out of Springfield, Missouri. Holy shit! Really? Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. This is this is well, the now O'Reilly... that we're plugging car parts stores. Right. We're on. Yeah. We're on to more beer we're and another. On to, uh, another Can beer. I just mention one quick? Uh, oh, producer, producer Ross. Time Crime. I really like that movie. Uh, it had really good. Uh, it's a Spanish movie. It's on Netflix. Yes, it's. Uh, it is uh, excellent. Yeah. I agree with you. <laughs> is that Gal? Is that Del Toro? I don't know. If Triangle counts as time travel, but I feel like it's also worth it, a mention. Is Time Crime Del Toro? Uh, no, it's not. No. Who yeah. is it? It's I don't remember the guy's name. Someone else. Not it's someone else. It's, he's Spanish, like Spain Spanish, not. Oh, well, now the producer Ross yeah. fucked up the outro. <laughs> yeah. Let's get on out of this. Hold on. Segment. No, no, no. Wait, wait, wait. Giving me a I'm going to time travel back to the part where producer Ross didn't fuck things up. And with that, we're on to the next segment. Killed oh, yeah. You're fucking editing this. We're, we're right. moving on. We'll see Stokes, what's in that glass? I am drinking Clown Shoes Brewery's Undead Party Crasher American Imperial Stout. And this is a hard Zeke for me. Wow. Big I, five. I do want to wrestle. Uh, it is MILF-like in its flavor. Man. Uh, it is up there. And here's the thing. It's getting points for the bottle. The label is fucking beautiful. The label's beautiful. It's some wicked RPG art I would fucking love. You got this Monster Hunter staking a guy to a wall that says, Welcome Trademark Eternities, um, (laughs) while Frankenstein and the Leprechaun watch. And here's the thing. There's a story behind it I don't know and I want to find out. Yeah, absolutely. Here's what it says on the bottle. In a world of uncertainty, hardship, and people trying to hold us back, do we need undead trademark attorneys too? Clown Shoes says, no, die, monsters, die. Forces of Darkness brought about a change in the name of this beer, which was released to celebrate our second anniversary, but it's still sports signature dark malts, holy water, and malt smoked locally with hickory and ash. Um, it's a delicious beer, and their entire label is a fuck you to a copyright claim. It, it is a total and package. I am into it front to back. Absolutely. What are we talking about, Spence? All right. So on on segment three, beer three, what we're doing here, it was the number n- one vote getter. Number one vote getter. I did vote for on our okay on our survey. <laughs> God, welcome to the podcast, Baz. Um, on on our surveys for this episode, it was our number one vote getter. It's Com Corner. Let me say thank you to everyone for making out the number one vote getter. Obviously, something near and dear to my heart, and I very much appreciate it. And in Com Corner, what we typically do is we take a difficult concept, we try to come up with a relevant analog that we can all relate to, and then unpack that concept. And so today, 
We're going to be talking about a concept which is near and dear to the communication major's heart. And and Baz is actually telling me as a former sociology major, current Current, current current, sociology major, uh, that this is near and dear to the sociology major's heart as well. Um, Expectancy violations theory is a fairly prominent theory. Uh, in a number of the humanities circles. And, the, and, and I'm being reductive here for the purposes of getting through this conversation. Expectancy violations theory uh, attempts to explain why and or how our expectations about social behavior, communicative behaviors are violated and the effects that that has on us. So how do we establish those expectations? Um, how do we negotiate those expectations? And then when those expectations are violated... How do we respond to those violations, and what does that say about us? So, so the question today is, what violations of social and or cultural expectations are most striking to you? So, um, for example, a couple of months ago, we recorded, uh, we recorded a bit about timeliness, uh, and what we learned in the, in the responses to our conversation on timeliness and tardiness is that for some of you this made some sense, that it too was a violation of an expectation, social or otherwise, for you. And for others of you, there was actually some kind of striking opposite reaction, which is that tardiness or timeliness is in some way not, not a thing which ought to be violated or which is violated in some weird way for a variety of different reasons. Despite so, your verbal and or written agreement to it. All right, I'm yep. sorry. Yep. I'm good. <laughs> Moving on. I'm good. So the question is, what what odd violations of social and or cultural cues kind of catch you off guard the most? And so, Baz, I'm actually going to start with you because I see here in the show notes that, that what the first thing that you've identified is something which is very near and dear to my heart as well. So jump in there. So the first one, the second one I will only mention in passing. Uh, we can get to that later. But uh, the people who don't hold doors for others, it drives me insane. It it literally makes no sense why someone would not do that. It is one of the oddest things that gets me the most worked up. Yeah, it's based, it's beyond gender too. Yeah, we're not no, like chivalry. chivalry. No, like, no, no yeah. I don't want a dowry for opening a door for you and holding it. Like That's right. I, chivalry died. It's like, lady, I got bags in my hands. Yeah, like, hold or, that goddamn door. Or right. you opened it and I'll like you know. Yeah, thanks. Right. Yeah. Great. And I'll do the same for you. Yeah. The back half of that one, too, also riles me up. It's when I do hold the door from someone and I don't get a thanks oh, or no. an acknowledgement. That's, a, that, that's implied. Right. It should be implied. It, should... That, to me, is is almost the worst iteration of that because it's way, 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 yeah. way, way. To be clear, if I didn't do this, the door would have hit you in the face or you'd be doing it yourself. Right. It just seems like a human thing to say, hey, thanks so much. And here's the thing. In most buildings nowadays, it's literally a built-in tool for reciprocity because you've got a foyer. Yeah. There's going to be a second door that you will hit first, that that you you open up, and you've both held each other's door. You have this bond of this shared exchange, Uh, and it's great. Have you ever 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 held a door for someone and had... Them wait for you to open the second one. That has happened to me before. Uh, it hasn't. And I got ever close to ever got to killing someone <laughs> was that time. But, but I have had the trade where I opened the first door and then they didn't hold the second door for me. And I thought, well, okay, maybe maybe we just missed the boat there on yeah. this reciprocity thing. You, there, I, I understand that there's a caveat here, which is. For some people, the idea of interacting with strangers is so difficult that I get. The notion of thanking someone and or holding a door for someone on the off chance that it might cause social interaction, I get that. So I'm not saying all that. It's the, it's the people who are too distracted or expect too much in terms of what others ought to do for them and then don't reciprocate or, or, or show gratitude. That's what gets me going. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Caleb. All right. 
I'm just going to limit myself to one because we're going over already. Swearing, or rather not swearing, in contents when I should be allowed to swear. Absolutely. So here's the thing. I'm not in church. Right. I'm not in your home. Mm-hmm. And I know not to do that thing. I'm not in front of your kids. I do that all damn day. Right. But I'm not in front of your kids right now. Yep. And here's the thing. Dictating my language to me as a scold, like saying I can't say, that was fucking delicious. Right. Uh, like even when it's positive as like a clear signifier of a part of the language that if you are a native speaker, and if you're not a native speaker, you still understand how that word works. And that is just the most crass and, and I know, I know, to a to a scold, to a born scold, it seems paradoxical, mm-hmm. and that's why it blows my mind. Mm-hmm. It's just the most crass, underhanded thing you can do to someone to try and dictate how I can talk when we're not educating someone with our speech, we're not performing in a certain dialogue that requires us to perform right. according to that. We're not at work. We're not at church. Yeah. I'm in a parking lot or like when I can't or a cuss. Bar. Yeah, or I'm in a bar and I can't cuss as an adult right. human being yep. that lives on planet Earth. Like that just blows my mind. We go to a lot of bars together. It's what we do. Yeah. And and occasionally people will bring their children into bars. Okay. You're, Which is you violated yeah, is, the is expectation. That a thing cuz you can't do it in Oklahoma. Uh, it's not it's I not, wish it was. Right. Um, in fact, Caleb and I played a rousing game of shuffleboard one evening at a local water. Where a hole. child ran score for us. Yeah. What the yeah. fuck? So, anyways, so so here's what I, I didn't say. I didn't curse while the child was around, but uh, you brought your kid into right. a bar. But what I don't like is that you've introduced that variable into the setting, which is now I have to think about: is it okay to, to cuss in front of your child in in a mature setting from the get go? And and what I think there is like, look, I don't want to tell you that you I can't arguably bring your kids went to, to this place to relieve myself of those contacts. Yep. The fact that you are violating this context with that context right. against everyone's will, yep. including the ownership of the establishment. Right. It's, Look, it's just mine. Bring your kids, whatever, right? But know that I'm not changing my discourse because you've introduced right. another variable into a mature setting. That's where, where I you. That's right. Yeah. That's but, right. but no, I will. I will change my discourse if you've done that. I will even be that polite. But the fact of the matter, that kid isn't there and you're still like... Watch your language. Right. That's a sign of a poor vocabulary. Sure. I want to break a bottle on your face. So That's the expectation I, I want to bottle. If yeah. I'm ever my told, life. watch your language, my just gut instinct is, fuck you. Mm-hmm. Like, no, it, no, it's yeah. a bowel dropping my no way. Like, I have no filter. I will say that. Like, right. if my kid's here, don't swear. It's like, fuck you. It's mm-hmm. like, I can't help it. Like, I don't even want to see, say I, it. See, I, I won't do it because I'll, I'll at least get that context. I'm talking about specific places where you have no reason to expect that from yeah. me. Yeah. yeah. And that really gets on me. So so mine uh, is, is less socially jarring in some ways, but it's one that always baffles me when I see it. I don't think so. It's people who don't tip well yeah. on principle. Can't stand it. So so look, if you have bad service, I get it. If, if, it's, if, it vi- if the service violates the base minimum standards of what a tip would uh, – of, of even yielding a tip in the first place, I get it. But if you've got even reasonable service from from a human being, the idea that you wouldn't you wouldn't tip them reasonably well is beyond me. And I have a number of acquaintances who don't tip more than a given amount on principle. For example, I don't tip more than two dollars, or I don't tip more than ten percent on principle. Why? And it is shuddering to me 
to think that I can't handle that. You, what you've done here is you've entered. I mean, in you're one, an asshole. That's right. Yeah, you're an you, asshole. You have entered into an agreement, whether or not you want to admit it. You've entered into an implicit agreement, which is the relationship between server and served. Yeah. And you're gonna you get to walk out of that relationship of your own volition. That's the nature of that relationship. But that you would do that knowing. That you are violating some tenet of that. I, I don't know why, but it is jarring to me when I see Oh, my God. Go. Like, if I I don't say fuck you to the people who says I can't swear, like, even in instances where I really want to say that, if someone is like, I don't tip $2 on principle oh. for, like, a $90 check, I'm like, well, let me get your palaquin, right. sir. Right. Like, holy right. shit. Right. That's some it, nonsense. Like, at, at a bare, my bare minimum is 5 bucks, And that's usually more than, like... Whatever. It's more than fifteen percent of, of my tab. Yeah. Right. The problem is, even if I have bad service, a person could literally say, "Fuck you," and I'm like, "All right, cool." Yeah. Five dollars. You know why? I'm a victim of service industry. I've worked at my entire. Fifteen percent is my rock bottom. Yeah. Like, yeah. and that's if like, and like, it's because I'm poor, but like, it's and my rock bottom. Bad, and it's lunchtime. Chances yeah. are, you've had a shitty day. Here's five bucks. Well, I hope it gets better. What about those like fucking Bible tracks that are disguised as dollar bills? Oh, fuck them. Like, yeah. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Them. And, and, and that look, person deserves a sock in the jaw. <laughs> I, I, I don't disagree with the economic argument here, which is I'm incapable of tipping more than X percent. Okay, this is not an argument about wealth or an argument about what you can and can't afford. It's an argument about the choice to not participate in what I think is a reasonably yeah. well-established social custom. Okay, here's the thing. If a Republican can yell at me for choosing between a phone and not dying, mm-hmm. <laughs> a Republican can choose between I can't tip as much as I should and not eating out. Mm-hmm. You yeah. should have made the choice to not eat out right. if you can't afford to tip at, the least, person who does At least does for that. me, that's part of the built-in cost of going out. And here's the, like, weren't you ever a teenager? Did yeah. you ever have a job? Shitty like, It's such job. a class fucking assault. My rule is if you can't tip your server, you don't belong at the establishment you are currently participating it's in. It's just part of the game. Yeah. If, yeah. You, if you're like, it, I understand like, I'm financially unable to tip. Well, then you should not financially be there. Right. But if you're there and like, oh, yeah, I dropped 80 bucks on this meal with me and one other person, and here's your 15% tip. It's like, the fuck's wrong with you? Right. That person's life literally revolved around you for the last hour. And and I get it may have been shit service. And if it's shit service, if they were awful, okay, modify your tipping rules. But at a minimum. probably suck, though. Right. If we're talking about a baseline here. Here's the thing. If it's going to poison me, that's the only time I even send it back. Yeah. Like, yeah. People who like finicky about service, Sorry. oh, it took too long because they don't understand how a fucking kitchen works. Sorry, there was hair in this. I'm like, okay, I know where my food came from in the first place. Yeah. I ain't worried about a hair. It's cooked. Mm-hmm. I have hair on my head. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Like, like, and, and here's the thing. I know that might be far for some people, mm-hmm. but like, that's the thing. Like, unless it's physically assaultive yeah. a service, you yeah. don't send it back. You fucking deal with it. Maybe you tip low as a response to that. Here, I Here's the thing, for, and I'll, this is the last I'll say about yeah. it. I was in a restaurant in D.C., and we went in, and they were understaffed because of the snow. We went there during a snowpocalypse, mm-hmm. uh, or at least how the news – Yeah, mm-hmm. or as the news would like to say. They were down to a manager, a busboy, and one server for the entire goddamn restaurant. Yeah. So they were run ragged, and it was very apparent. So I go into the bathroom to piss. Uh, no one says me I can't say piss. So I'm pissing, and they're talking <laughs> – and uh, it's one of the cooks talking to one of the guys. They're like, oh, God. And the guy's been on a 16-hour fucking shift. Wow. Because no one can get to him in the snow. And they're all like, and I go in, and they're talking about it. I can hear him through the door. And I walk in, and he's like, chill, 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 chill. I'm like, guys, 
I know you're fucking slammed. I don't give a shit what you're talking about. Right. You're getting a good tip from me. The fact that they have to like police themselves from objectively talking about, you know what fucking sucks? Waiting tables for yeah. 16 hours yeah. straight. Yeah, yeah, like that. the fact that I would find that is like, N- you say, right? Indeed, sir. Well, they're in DC, so probably. Yeah, that yeah. Is what and I know, doing. and I know they have to do that to survive. But like the fact that that's something that can exist in the world is just fucking infuriating. Amen. Yeah. And on that note, I'm gonna get another beer, and we're moving on. Let's hope this goes better, is what I'm saying, than, than, than what happened earlier. So this, from Rough Tail Brewing, also in Oklahoma, as I understand yep, yep. it, this is a Little Blue Pills, and the can reads, and I quote, say goodbye to a reptile dysfunction. So here we go, trying to... There's a gecko on the can. It's blue. You see. That's the joke. Oh, my. Yeah. Oh, my. Right? That is fun. That's yeah. not a reaction I expected from a Pilsner. So... I don't love I don't love pilsners. Is one I, at this point? I think I've probably documented that enough. Um, this does not have the same kind of uh, forgettable quality that yeah. most pilsners. It almost tastes like it has like a little like citrus or lemon, something light and refreshing mm. on the end. Can I try? Absolutely, you it's can like try this, this. It's like a heavy hopped pilsner. My goodness, that's what it is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like a little bit of hop on the end that has some citrus to it. It tastes like a beer. Yes. What? Which is. Distinct, a strong praise distinct for a pilsner from the thing that I drank during segment one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, so this for me is a four. This is a teddy. Oh, that's it, definitely a that's definitely a teddy. It, it, it's there for when you, it's there when you need it. That's right. That's right. It, this beer thinks it's your best friend, and you're not sure it isn't, but you're not sure it is, right. which is why it's not a five. You're not going to deserve. There, there are stats on the beer can. There are stats like. on the beer can. Aggressiveness also, is off the charts. I also want to say this <laughs> in just the category of pilsners. If we were rating by category condition, this would be a five for me. This is one of the better Pilsners I think I've ever had. Hands down. Having said that, Caleb, what are we talking about? We are going to talk about in Ready Player Drunk, right. uh, something you proposed to Our us. Our video game segment. Which is a, uh, a video game mechanic that had the most significant impact, positive or negative, on a game universe. Right. Uh, which is a strong question. You, you brought us some good examples, but I'm really interested to hear uh, you delve into this. Yeah, so here's what I was thinking about as I was coming up with some some questions for this show, and this question in particular was, I think back to Super Mario World for the Super Nintendo, which if you've read, you know, our our semi-recent blog on that is obviously my favorite video game of all time. Have you guys heard of Super Mario? You should try try it. It's about two (laughs) brothers, plumbers, saving the world. It's a whole thing. Yeah, yeah, there's a movie, John Leguizamo, um, Bob Hoskins. So, anyways... Oscar performance. Uh, what, I'm, what, I'm, what I was struck by in Super Mario World, in in distinction to the rest of the Super Mario games leading up to it, was the introduction of the feather. It felt to me like it changed the whole nature of Super Mario. Now I could fly through levels. It added a layer of difficulty and nuance and expertise skill that I really liked. So what I was thinking was here, what are those types of things for you which have been introduced into a gaming universe that is near and dear to your heart that has totally changed the universe? And what I've landed on, other than obviously the feather in Super Mario World, so my choice here is the auction house in Diablo 3. There is not a game that I waited for more than Diablo 3. And in that way, there's not a game which has been more disappointing to me than Diablo 3. And you've been Agreed. teaching me Diablo 3. I have. Uh, I've never, I never played a Diablo before. I'm playing right. currently with Spencer. And so if it's your entry point, it's not a bad entry point at all. Because in a lot of ways, it's a reskinned Diablo 2 with better graphics. 
Um, but but you're getting into Diablo 3 after uh, Blizzard did away with the auction house. So when Diablo 3 debuted, oh they wanted to introduce an auction mechanic, not unlike World of Warcraft, where you could go purchase for gold items or materials that you needed to upgrade your gear or upgrade your character. But they took it a step further which Diab- with Diablo 3, which was the real money auction house. Yeah. Where now, for <laughs> actual dollars... You could buy items in the game. And in some ways, look, you're looking at the game and you're going, well, this is the logical extension of no, microtransactions. Blizzard. I know an econom- I know economists wrote papers about fucking gold farming and yeah. shit. Yeah. That's not an invitation for you to be like Eve Online. Right. All right. It, which is Damn. which is where they ended up. And and what it did so for me, and, and this is more of a me problem in theory than it is a Diablo problem, although I think that the nature of the mechanic lends itself to this issue. I found my spell spout found oh god here this is what yeah, happens after here we are. beer and scotch and sorry you know what that fuck my bad okay so um, I found myself spending yeah exactly you're getting your money's worth okay <laughs> I found myself spending as much time figuring out if the items that I found correlated to items that were going for a specific cost on the real money auction house as I did playing the fucking game they don't they don't they don't I found items that I thought had relevant counterparts that were up for twenty five dollars fifty dollars a hundred dollars and then I sat and just waited for things, these things to sell, and they never did. Never. But, but what it did to me is it turned a game where I have, for the last 20 years of my life, ignored the obvious economic aspect of farming the same levels over and over again for better quality items. And it said, no, what you're literally doing is farming items for economic value. And it, and it, and it eliminated the, the guise of fun. Yeah. From from a Skinner box. Sometimes subtext needs to say That's right. subtext. Yeah. Sometimes sometimes the mystery of it all, the 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 cloak of mystery is there for a fucking well, reason. That's what made the beauty of Diablo 2 is actually having to go through the effort of like, oh, here's actual money for your character account. That's Here right. You go. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So anyways, for me it's the it's the auction house in Diablo 3. And Blizzard knows this because it, in the time that has passed since the launch of the game and now you will not find totally, an auction house. Totally gone. Any auction house, gold or real money otherwise. So yeah. um Baz, what 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 changed things for you here? Uh I think Caleb and I have the same idea here. It has to do with the infusion of items and destiny. It's kinda angry you picked that before me. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> well, I have a lot of free time when I got the show notes. Sorry. Um yeah, being able to infuse an item in Destiny literally renewed, like, just changed the game. It, was it like, bought four or five months of play. Yeah, right. it, it made me willing to actually suffer through a otherwise awful game with two of my three, sorry, Jeb, mm-hmm. best friends yeah. via the internet. It might be in person, actually, but right. it made the game fun again. And not only that, but they expounded upon the infusion. They, they, they made it better as the game went on. Yeah, so a little context here. So here's what happened. So um, for a while, Destiny items, uh, well, actually, still to this R- day. RNG. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Destiny items are exclusively based on RNG, right? Random number generation. You might get a good item. You might get abject shit. And the problem is that those items have a certain light level, which adds to your character's overall light level, which is ultimately the way your character is evaluated. Now, great mechanic. You could feed that. Yeah, uh, item into an item that you enjoyed using because right. they had other good stats right. and up its light level. Right. right. But previously to the one to one infusion, it was this Awful. archaic fucking algorithm that made no goddamn sense. Also, a plus was whenever Caleb and I were playing, I, I just randomly turned a phrase and said, "Oh, it's an infusion rifle." That's for right. the fusion rifle. That's it was right. it was a solid word fusion. It was it was a silhouette which was like a worked in a pun. double yeah. entendre. It was right. so good. We laughed for hours. What it allowed you to do is allowed you to take a weapon that you liked playing with that was say a level 
pick, pick number 370. 380. Yeah. And you could take an item that you didn't care for but was technically higher let level. 400. Level, 400, which was the cap light level, and infuse that 400 item into your 380 item. And you might get 382 originally. Right. Which is just a big blue ball. Yeah, fuck you. Fuck you. That's and then it's just too. like, no, this one's 400 but now. Then we they, like you, you like playing with this gun. We would like you to play with the game. Yeah. They moved to a one-to-one infusion rate, so any number that you dumped into another number, that's the number you announced. And they, they, they did that right before an expansion. Yep. And it got me playing again before the expansion. Yep. It got me playing the expansion. The smartest move they've ever made. It was it was beyond brilliant. It re-energized me to revisit some weapons that I felt like I couldn't play with anymore. And had I thought about it before I saw it on the show notes that Bass put out, it would have been the thing that I said. So, Caleb, all of us thought Infusion and Destiny was, Destiny was a game changer, but you've noted one other change in a game that has really has really kind of reinvented the world to you. Because this is really interesting to me. Because you said positive or negative. Yeah. And here's the thing. I can do both. Mass Effect is one of my favorite series ever. Yep. Uh, I really love it. Don't buy Andromeda because they ruined it. Yep. And uh, no, you should never yet. forgive and never forget. <laughs> never forget. Uh, so I shan't be playing it. And don't tell me about it because they've destroyed it for it's me and they destroyed it the for all of us. Are awesome, apparently. Yeah, uh, whatever. Um, so, in the first Mass Effect, there is this mechanic called the Mako, where you have to get around on planets on this six-wheeled fucking buggy that you drop on the planet that handles like a brick in a tumble dry. Just saying. And it's fucking ridiculously stupid and hard. You have to do combat in it. It's goddamn awful. One of us loves the Mako. I'm just saying, I love it. Okay, that's fair. I'm wrong. Um, so, they cut the Mako from Mass Effect 2. Huge bonus to the game. I guess. An enormous time suck that mm-hmm. disappears for me. Yep. They replaced it with planet scanning, which is moving a cursor around an orb until your dual shock buzzes and then shooting a probe at it, getting a nondescript mineral you don't understand what goes into. And that's the only way to save the lives of all the wonderfully written characters you've come to love. So Mass Effect 2 is notable for eliminating a mechanic that is a net positive to the entire trilogy. Sure. Instantly. Instantly makes the game better. And then adding something in equally bad to replace it. Um, it's And I, I should have known then they just they hoodwinked me on the narrative. Yep. I should have known then that 3 was going to be a problem. Uh, but But they got me. They got me good. Uh, that's what I'm saying. To be fair, in the second one, you do get to scan uh, Carcosa. You do get to scan Carcosa. It is pretty rare. Pretty rare. But uh, we've talked about Lovecraft again. Sorry. So it's time. Uh, that's Robert W. Chambers. Yeah. Oh, oh, my gosh. Shut <laughs> up. Yeah, get it right. Producer Ross, again, off the bench. <laughs> Well, I think we're, I think we're all good here. Yeah, I think we yeah, understand we what has happened yeah. before a fight breaks out. It's time for somebody to get another beer, and we'll be right back. <laughs> Baz, and now your final beer review of the show. Yeah. What do you got? I have uh, Domestique. Barrel-aged Belgian-style ale, a quad ale from Anthem Brewing Company out of Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. There might be a theme here. Yep. Um, it is... Well, we're going to find out. Yep, yep. I've sampled it. Spoiler alert. I've sampled it, and I... And I've had it a few times before, though. Sorry. All right. It... 
Oh, man, that flavor. It It's Christmas without all the bad family members that show up to it. That's right. It is so good. It's delicious. It is an ale with spice notes that just don't. They don't quit. They don't quit. They just stay there. Rank Although, it. One through five. One through five. I'm going to give it a five. That's it, a Zeke. Now, actually, a five with a, with a caveat. Two Zeke. Two Zeke. A five with a caveat. No beer should do what this beer does when it's opened. Mm-hmm. It's just foams and foams. It does. For like literally an hour afterwards, it just head came out of the top. It was a science Have experiment. It's the best of us. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. No matter what you do, mm-hmm. though, no judgment. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> great beer. Not though. the size. Hey-oh. It's a five. Uh, well, that's great. Uh, it's not often that we have two fives. In fact, I can only think of one other episode where we've had two fives, mm-hmm. and this was this was a unique moment in time. So you know, here we are. Roughly one out of every six or seven at this point. Um, all right. Here's what we're talking about. So this was another listener-suggested segment. So in Beer 5, we'll do an Ask Mixed 6, where we take one of your questions. This question comes to us from Ethan Cordray, who's also had a couple of greatest hits hey, on our show at this point. And Ethan asks, I've recently been promoted at work into a management position for the first time. Sorry. What recommendations does Mixed 6 have for management? Here's the, here's the nice condition and or drinking techniques to help ensure my success. So this one's a little bit interesting for me. I was a management consultant for two years, and now I'm a director of operations, so I I kind of manage people in a company at this moment. So I'm excited to talk about this, but but I want to get other feedback before I drunkenly start to jump into all of this stuff that I talk about all the time. So Caleb, kick it off. I couldn't have less to say (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. on this topic. I'll drink that. I'm a public educator. Mm-hmm. Once you're in, that's it. You could go to administration, and then you're not a public educator anymore. Right. You're doing a fundamentally different job. Right. Or you could just do that for 30 years and then leave. Yep. Um, and that's the track I'm on. I manage no one to do anything. Mm-hmm. So, What about your students? Are you not I, managing children? I Classroom management isn't the same as workplace management because <laughs> I get to choose who's in my workplace. As a manager, I have no choice of who's in my classroom. Fair enough. Um, so here's the thing. I cannot. I can only give the perspective of from the bottom up. I will say that the classiest thing you can do as a manager ever for me is acknowledge when you don't know something and then seek to learn it. Yeah. The know-it-all manager is the fastest track to being the incompetent, this guy's an asshole and has no say over what we do, manager. Yep. There's no faster way to erode your confidence than to talk without knowing with what you're saying. Yeah. And I, there's nothing I respect more than saying, oh, I'll look it up. Um, so there's that. And then here's the thing. I think this is true of every job, but I know it's definitely true of education. There is shit that you do that is a mission-critical task. Mm-hmm. You have to do it to fundamentally do right. the thing in which you are doing. Right. And then there is shit you do that is just bullshit that has to be done. Right. And finding a way to signify that. And that's the thing. You probably have a boss, too, even your management position. Yeah. So you have to be catering to that. But finding a way to signal that this is bullshit that has to be done. Yeah. But nonetheless, it has to be done. Right. Versus what I determine a mission-critical tax really inspires confidence in me and a manager. Yep. So, like, I would – I very much respect an administrator who would be like, we have to fill this out for state compliance. It is due on this day. You're really going to put me in a bind if it's not in by this. Yeah. But it's not the be-all, end-all. Absolutely. Versus a – if you don't get filmed 
firm form 291 six filled out yeah you've betrayed all children right. and are corrupting their souls with yeah. ignorance right. like that kind of shit nothing will make me think you're full of shit about everything you say faster than if you can't delegate between you know what we got to do it but it's work that's why they pay us versus you know, we probably picked this job for a reason right. regarding your personality, and this is what we should fucking do. Yeah, there's something to the genuine honesty of, look, I know you don't like this either, but I'm telling you right and now. And I'm not crazy with it either. Right. But but this is a this is a has to, not a want to. A buckle down. Right, and so let, let's just get this done, and then let's move on to the stuff that we came here to do. Yes, exactly. Uh, there's something there's something kind of bonding about that. There's no more powerful leadership move to me That's right. than that. That's right. It's, it's a little vulnerable, because it, it's, it's admitting at one point that the veil of authority is only a veil sometimes, but that doesn't make it any less real. But yeah, I'm still a human being who's been here longer. I'm a human being right. who's shown himself to be a little bit we gotta do faster we gotta do. on his or her feet. Yep. Like, you're a human that needs to be a manager. You're not like manager, right. like on top of the Illuminati throne. Absolutely. And I, and that, I will never buy that. So, Bass, what'd you go for here? Well, just a, a quick counterpoint to Caleb's statement before is you have to be careful with the appealing to ignorance. If you do that too often, you do become that person who is inept. If you appeal too often, you do have to at least fake it till you make it sometimes. Sure, yeah. Now, with that same thing, um, those who are underneath you, you have to be aware of their their mindset. Now, I've been a shift supervisor for Starbucks. Yeah. You don't – people do not vocalize their issues. That are, Your subordinates will not tell you what's going on or mm-hmm. what's wrong with them. You can find everything out you need to through nonverbal cues as long as you know how to spot them. Um, people will be pissed at you and will say that they had a great day and then leave. It's very important to spot those nonverbal mm-hmm. cues sure. with your subordinates. Otherwise, you will fail. And in essence, it, it comes down to that if they fail, you fail. Like yeah. You do not succeed if they do not succeed because their success is what makes you a good management position. Yep. Totally agree. Uh, totally agree. Alternately, read the prince, follow those rules uh, that, you know, better be feared in love. No? Hey. Yeah. Hey. Uh, producer Ross has again s- sideways to this whole thing. Um, hey, I love the prince. It's a great, let, yeah, it's great. Let me jump in there a little bit. It's a couple, great light reading. A couple yeah. of things Ethan and others who find themselves in this t- in this position all the time. So, what one of the things that I do in my actual work life is work through management seminars, train managers, and then do some managing myself. Here, here are just a couple of things that I've come across over time that really matter. So the first thing is to ask questions. This goes along a, a lot with what Baz was saying, right. which is the, the people have an instinct, I think, when they get promoted to management positions. I've seen this time and time again as a consultant to say, now I'm a manager, I have to do everything, no. which is the absolute opposite impulse to being a good manager. Right. I think yeah. the smart manager says, now I'm, yeah, that's right. Now I'm in charge of things. It's my, it's my, I own getting those things done. But the stupid thing to do is say, I have to do it. The smart thing to do is say, there are people around me who have special expertise that I don't have. That a good manager coordinates and delegates that expertise rather than tries to do everything. Along that line, at Starbucks, we have a running joke. If you get promoted, the further you get promoted, the worse you get at everything in the baseline yeah. expected of you. Well, and, and you know, yeah. the, the management conundrum. It's Peter principle. Right, it is. And the management conundrum there, right, is that. You were likely promoted in the first place, not because you were a good manager, but because you were good at your specific job. Right. So the assumption then became, well, because you were good at a specific task or tasks, now you should manage others, which is in and of itself not an innate ability. 
And so management is its own weird beast, which is why I, I appreciate Ethan asking this question. It's not, it's not a skill that is natural. So ask questions. Try to get other people involved in the process. Um, and routinely I've seen that even if, you, even if you ask questions of others and don't implement their solutions but honor them and respect them for sharing, people feel better working for you having participated in the process at all. Yeah. Slight caveat there. Make very clear to people if it is a democratic decision or not a democratic decision right. when you ask for their position. And, and that's the thing. That goes along with the bullshit thing. That's right. Never ask me for my opinion if my opinion doesn't, doesn't matter. matter. Right. That's right. Just say, we're doing it this way. That's right. And you could, like, elucidate your reasons, and that would be good for me. I'm a big fan of yeah. openness. Yeah. But don't, uh, don't like, have, like, a round table yeah. that completely ignore what everyone says and right. do it one way anyway. Just don't attribute what we have to do to me as your leader. Like, I'm sorry. Yeah. Like, yeah. I saw, I, saw, I saw the owner of a company set 10 people down um, uh, spring of last year and say, how does everyone feel about this? And, and what ended up happening was seven of the people at that table felt one way, two people felt another way, and the owner felt a third way. And the, the seven people who all felt a certain way thought what they were doing was voting for a solution. Never. In li- so, so make very clear your intentions. Uh, but also make very clear. I own that, the company. Right. I will do this thing. Yeah. I am doing this thing. Ma- make, yeah. Let's not have a f- f- straw vote that That's I right. didn't count. The That's wrong right. Way. As, 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 a company, as a company that I'm fortunate enough to get to operate every day, we have three rules clarity, honesty, and intentionality. Be clear about what you want, be honest about what you need, and be intentional in what you say. Yeah. That's it. And if you can't do those three things, this is not going to work. So ask questions, delegate. And then the last thing I would say is provide honest, meaningful feedback. One of the biggest mistakes I see manager, managers make routinely is say, hey, good job on that. That's not good feedback. No, it's terrible. Good feedback is, hey, I saw you do this specific this thing. This specific part of the job. I want to tell you why I appreciate you doing this specific thing, and I want to tell you what the positive effect of that specific thing yeah. is. The converse of that is also true. Hey, I saw you doing this specific thing. I don't want you to do this specific thing anymore because the negative effect of yeah. this specific thing is not good for the company or the team yeah. in this way. So close to the point with Starbucks, we don't train people. We call it coaching. Mm-hmm. I know it sounds very you know, corporate yeah. lingo. but with the, the, As corporate cultures go, you can do way worse. a billion-ty time for us in Starbucks. So the concept with coaching, though, is to take every partner that ever does anything. If you do something right, we coach them and say, hey, good job how you did that. This was the end result of what you did. Right. You did this was wrong, but here is how you affect it if you do it this way, and here's how we're going to do it from here on out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, switch it around. Don't, don't say, hey, you fucked up. Right. Yeah. That's right. Man- yeah. Management has not suddenly made you not a human. Yeah. What it's done is it's made you a human who has a different set of responsibilities than you were when you were a human who, d- who wasn't a manager. And so the most important thing you can remember is you're still trying to coordinate the activities of other people who are, at, who are as capable or more capable than you in some ways. Treat them with respect. Be very clear. Be very honest. Be very intentional. Right. And let's get another beer. Oh, wait. Let's not get another beer. This was beer five. This is the outro. This is the outro, he said, as he almost ruined this whole thing. If you've been with us this long, thank you so much. If you won't see us on the other side because you're not a patron, we totally get it, and we want to thank you for the time today. We also want to remind you that you can, for a a, a paltry contribution, get beer six and for additional contributions, not only get beer six on all our episodes, but you can also get hot takes on us. an entire minicast. An entire minicast. And... We are slowly creeping up to our $1,000 monthly 
milestone, mm, which would give us an so additional sweet. third full podcast a month. So we'd be producing even more content. If we could we do that, producer Wallace could stop editing <laughs> out the sixth segment. That's right. Even. And he could start not editing in more sound effects request of him. Everybody I'm, could I'm hear right here, Caleb. more segments. <laughs> you, and it hurts. The podcast only works with a straight man, Producer <laughs> Ross. That's right. That's your role. Keep it together, Producer I Ross. Like Baz, this, as, uh, as, as a listener and a subscriber, a patron, yeah. would you like to make a plea here? Yeah, I'll even double down. If you increase your pledge, I will, I will PM you oh my whatever, God. through whatever social media. If you have a question... Anything. Hit me up. Look at that. Look I'll, at that. I will respond. Patron only access to Andrew. Baz Baswell. is giving the key. I am thirty one years old. I have <laughs> a good I have a lot of educational background and I, I've done a lot of fucking up. I'll help you through your life. Look at this guy. Yeah, He's gonna life coach you. I got your back. We like, have our own life coach now. So if you if you aren't going on with us, thanks so much for your time. If you are going on, we'll be back in a minute. Always <laughs> remember that you can follow us on Twitter at the Mix Six. You can find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash the Mix Six. And as always, if you could rate and review on iTunes, it would do a great deal of help to us Super useful. to make sure that other people can also see the oh, Mix 6. Should I do that? You should yes. totally Sorry. fucking Sorry, guys. do that. Yeah, before you give out life advice God. to other people, how about you get on iTunes? My be dog. God. That's, that's on me. Alright, anyways, thanks so much everybody. We'll see you next time.